Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining us today, she's a five-time Olympian. She's a world record holder, NCAA champion, and most recently, she is a swimmer. She has announced her <laughs> retirement. Today, we're sitting down with Alia Atkinson. How's it going? I'm doing well. Thank you. Great to be here. First of all, we just saw you compete at the 2021 World Short Course Championships. What made that the right time for you to to announce your last meet and to ultimately step away from competitive swimming? Well, I think for me, 2019 was really the turning point. I started to feel, okay, I can do this for probably another 18 months. Um, And I think that that will be it. And then after the pandemic hit, it was, okay. Let's see if I can extend this and how far can I extend it? Uh, So I think after 2019, it really, it made me decide, okay, after Olympics, do I want to stop at Olympics or do I continue until Worlds? Um, So I think that was my deciding factor. World Cups and ISL was still iffy with um, everything going on. Um, And if World Championships continued, I think that that would have been the ending point for me. Mm -hmm. Were you happy with your decision? (laughs) to continue after the Olympics to compete in ISL and world champs? I think so. Um, I definitely wanted to do something where I had fun. Um, I could enjoy the swimmers one last time, enjoy traveling without any any real pressure, actually. I just wanted to enjoy swimming. Um, and so I think that period after Olympics gave me that. Um, the feeling of being on the ISL team, getting to be with all the swimmers, um, traveling to the different countries. Uh, I think that really helps me step away from the sport, um, content and satisfied. Yeah. Do, do you, so what are you doing now? You, you know, it's only been <laughs> a month. Uh, I'm sure you had some holidays, but what's, uh, yeah, what's life yeah, look like the last yeah. few weeks? Um, getting used to dieting getting used to having some sort of exercise and routine. I think I've been in a routine for so long um, that I think I like it. (laughs) So trying to find some sort of routine in my day. Um, Right now, it's basically downtime, all the things I wanted to do that I couldn't do before. Um, I think I'm renovating the house, planting and potting and doing other things that I never really got the time to sit down and enjoy before all the leisure activities. Um, so I'm doing that. And also I'm waiting for the FINA nominations to come in. Um, so hopefully uh, when everybody nominate or votes in May, I think, in Worlds in Japan, um, hopefully I can get enough votes to be on the board and then we can start different projects and then the rest of the year will be packed. <laughs> so <clears throat> you told me this off camera, you want to be on the FINA board. I don't even yeah. know what that means really. That sounds official. <sighs> So why is that a goal of yours and what do you hope to accomplish with that? So throughout my years, I always wanted to do something for Jamaica swimming. And as I got bigger in the sports of swimming, I realized it's not just Jamaica. I want to do something in the Caribbean and for minority sports and in the African nations and the Pacific Islands. And it's such a huge range that I needed a big platform to do that on. 
Um, so that's when I broadened my my horizon. I, I thought about Iwana, where I can work with the Americas, but also the FINA board, which which is enables me to see where I can find work and implement that in a little bit easier. Um, so I'm looking to try and see if I can get on the Athletes Commission board for FINA. Um, right now, um, Penny Haynes from South Africa, um, she's a president. Um, we still have a lot of athletes that you guys already know that are swimmers, but um, Tiago Pierre from Brazil, um, Christy Coventry, like a, a lot of big names that are doing stuff for the sport outside of the pool. And I think that's where I wanted my, my next career move to be and see what I can do in the Caribbean and for Jamaica um, for minorities athletes um, and see if, if we can still have that representation just outside of the pool. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> During, over the course of your career, did you feel that, um, that yearning to, to represent Jamaica, the Caribbean, you know, even in a broader sense, the, the African community, the world, um, grow and grow as, as you got bigger yourself as an athlete? Yes, it did. <laughs> um, growing up in Jamaica, I've only seen Jamaican swimmers. So going to Caribbean meets and I realized my world got a little bit bigger. So, oh, we have so many Caribbean swimmers. But that was nothing to when I went to the U.S. and saw the collegiate athletes and the amount of athletes that are there. And then my world, my swimming world just got bigger and bigger as I got to different world championships and just seeing the difference in financial um, federations and um, just exper experience, education, knowledge um, of the athletes and the coaches, um, seeing the difference between what some athletes get and some athletes don't. Um, and basically just educating, I think. The knowledge and the education part is where I'm going in for. Um, and just bringing water awareness to all the, the different countries. But yeah, I definitely saw a need as I, as I got bigger into the, into, the, into the world of swimming, I guess. Is swimming popular in Jamaica? No. <laughs> Over the years, it has definitely gotten um, more media attention. Um, we've definitely had more people come out to learn to swim programs. We've had more learn to swim programs develop. But um, as far as that, we don't really have that many learning to swim. We don't really have that many adults seeing the desire to learn to swim or get their kids into the water as well. And I think that's where it starts. It's not just a sport, um, but it's, it's a life skill and it's essential. But even then, continuing as a sport, um, between 14 and 15, we see a huge drop off of our athletes. Um, much less into 18 when they reach their prime into 1920 it's pretty much non-existent um so to have a few pop up now and then is remarkable yeah yeah so i'm curious how how you became one of those few what how did how did you <laughs> start your journey in the water um so i learned when i was four um my parents <clears throat> knew that it's not just a sport but it's a life skill so they made sure that all their children learned how to swim and after that, we just continued doing it as a, a routine. That's when my routine started, actually, at around seven or eight. And we went to school and swimming. And that was my routine all the way up. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to attend Texas A&M University. And I think that's really changed my trajectory of what I want to do in the sport um, and how far I could go. Because I was able to swim with Europeans and South American athletes and U.S. athletes. And I see where I ranked. And it was great to see that their their perspective of swimming and um all the stuff that they've learned as well so with that i kind of projected to 
all right, let's see if I can make it to international teams. Let's see if I can, how far can I go? And I think that was my, my goal throughout the whole thing. Just that's how far I could go. Um, and I just keep on wanted more and more and more. And I stayed hungry. Yeah. So did you, were you very, would you consider yourself very hungry or did you want more and more um, like when you were high school age or when you were in, as a teenager in Jamaica? I consider myself very stubborn. I am stubborn and hungry. <laughs> um, growing up in Jamaica, yes, there were girls who were faster than me, but for some reason, I always wanted to beat the boys. So I was always targeting the boys. It was me and the boys, and I always wanted to try and reach them. Um, so I think because of that, I never, I was never content with where I was. Um, and that's where the stubbornness comes in, because even if I did a really good job, I was like, okay, what else is there? Um, and I think that tenacity and stubbornness, <laughs> um, just, it helped me throughout all the years and going to college and, and afterwards. Was, was there a formal swim club that you were training on? Did you guys like do doubles? I'm, I'm curious about what, what the routine looked like on a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, no, we have many swim clubs in Jamaica. Um, the issue we have is the amount of pools. So right now pool space is pretty much non-existent. We'll have the national stadium, which is a 50 meter pool. Um, we'll have a few private pools um, for the universities, but getting access to that is pretty tricky as well. And besides that, you have maybe the YMCA's. Um, so we'll have very few pools. And with that, you have a X amount of clubs that so everybody's fighting for space. Um, but for me, I was lucky enough. I didn't do um, mornings when I was in Jamaica. Um, so it was mostly just the afternoons. So dry lands and afternoons. Um, some mornings was a huge wake up call for me when I went to the States. But yeah, um, I think going into the States early on, having that transition before college really helped me um, get into a better routine for college swimming because jumping from the Jamaica swimming to the U.S. swimming was a big difference. Um, but yeah, it was pretty much just school and swimming. So then when did you come to the U.S.? I moved up when I was 14, 15. Okay. To yeah. where to? I was in Pembroke Pines, Pembroke Pines, Florida. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we start school early. So we start school around four. Um, well, I was early. So we start school around four. Um, so I graduated at 16. So I was pretty young still. So I had a gap year before I went to Texas a and What'd you do with the gap year? Traveled. It was really fun. I made the Commonwealth team. So I was able to go to Australia. Um, wow. I was able to put in doubles a lot. Um, and really just find what type of swimmer I wanted to be um, outside of the academic side um, and just get a taste of that, of what professional swimming would be later on um, at that age. Yeah, that that's obviously, it's a pretty unique situation, not something everyone gets to do. Would, would you recommend that to younger swimmers or to other athletes who maybe don't have as clear of, of a vision of, of what their next step might be? Um, I think it depends on one, your financial situation. If you can allow yourself to have a gap year, I was lucky enough that my parents moved up too. So I was able to just stay at home. Mm -hmm. Um, but how old you are too, I was young. So that was a main factor in not going <laughs> halfway across the country to Texas. Um, and yeah, it definitely helped 
realign my my dreams of what I wanted to do in the sport. Um, it is very tricky with academics as well, with all the NCAA regulations and um, how many credits you can take and stuff. So, but I do recommend still staying somewhat academic, um, doing some sorts of courses and stuff. But yeah, it, if you can do it, I do recommend it. It is pretty fun. That sounds pretty cool, <clears throat> especially getting to go to a Commonwealth Games, which is a huge, huge games at only 16, 17 years old. Was that yeah. pretty eye-opening? Was that overwhelming for you? Yes, it was. Um, it's a little, it's on a lower scale than like an Olympics or a Worlds. So I was able to make it to semifinals um, and see the top swimmers at the time. I think it was like Liesl Jones in the breaststroke, um, which is a huge breaststroker. Um, so it's seeing her and seeing how far away she still is from me and what I have to do to work on and stuff like that. It was more of an educational learning experience for me, mm -hmm. uh, but it was still fun to be in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Where, where in Australia was it? <laughs> it was in Melbourne. Okay. That's yeah, that sounds really, really like a really cool experience. So then uh, your recruiting process, what was that like for you, especially finishing high school at 16? And what made A&M ultimately the right decision? Um, so because I was so young, a lot of the coaches didn't actually approach me. So I didn't really have that many. Um, I didn't really have that many coaches coming out or schools actually interested. Um, so my coach uh, made sure I went to junior nationals to some, get some sort of exposure. And from there, we saw Steve, uh, Steve Boltman, the head of Texas A&M currently. And uh, yeah, he, he seemed interested. He went to some of my practices in Florida. Um, and there was just something about him, whether it was just Southern charm, I don't know, <laughs> or his crawfish belt. <laughs> but... <laughs> It came down to whichever coach I saw on the pool deck, which one would I feel guilty and not be able to go up to? And it was Steve. Um, <laughs> I know it sounded weird, but the rest of them, I'd be like, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I didn't go to your school, but that's fine. But Steve, I, I would have felt guilty. I'd have been like, I'm so sorry. I did not felt. <laughs> but um, yeah, the coaching staff was great. I love the girls. I love um, the idea that they have of, of a unit and a team. And I could really feel that when I was there. Um, and all the traditions of A&M, Aggie, Aggie land is something that I cherish even to this day. Yeah. So, so once you got there, um, did, do you feel like you really evolved? Do you feel like you really took a step up and was that from that culture? Was that from Steve's, you know, breaststroke wisdom that we've heard so much about? A little bit of both. I think I took a step back before I could take two steps forward. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, even though I was very dedicated to the sport, I still had trouble coming out of my comfort zone. Um, and because we had on my club team, we had so many different ranges. Um, we had different, uh, we could do distance free or 400 IM, or we could just mix it up a lot. Um, I wasn't really breaststroke focused. So when I got to AM, it was okay, you're Yes, we still do the IMs and mix it around, but remember you are breaststroke focused. So it was being mm. sharp on breaststroke every, every, every chance I got. And that didn't happen. <laughs> and it took a while for me to come out of my comfort zone and to be okay with coming out of my comfort zone. I think that's what AM taught me the most. Um, actually enjoying being out of my comfort zone um, and, and feeding off of that, that pain. 
which is weird to say out loud. But um, yeah, I think that's what taught me the tenacity for World Cups later on um, to get up and go no matter how you're feeling, um, but just to do your best. Um, and yeah, it was it was an integral part of my career. That's super interesting to hear that coming out of high school, you weren't really this super focused sprinter breaststroker. You were just kind of this swimmer that did, that did it all. I was just doing my stuff and having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, so did you technically, did you, did your, do you feel like your breaststroke improved a lot while you were at A&M or did, was there something that really set it apart for you? So I was always sprint based. Um, so I know going in, I was pretty fast in the hundred. Um, the fifth, the two hundred was still somewhat there, but not really that um, efficient. But what AM taught me in addition to that was, especially Steve, nobody is just a sprinter. <laughs> Everybody can be a little bit more. So even the sprinter sprinters, he pushed them into the hundreds. So since I was a hunter, he pushed me into the two hundreds. So my two hundred freeze got better. My two hundred IMs um, flies and the 200 breaststroke. So luckily enough, at 2010, when I graduated, um, I actually won NCs in the 200 breasts. So that that definitely gave me the endurance um, that I didn't think I had for the 200. But going into it and going into 2012 Olympics after that, um, we kind of fine-tuned back down to the 100 to see if we can get back those fast switch muscles and get the speed back that had gone somewhere <laughs> in college. <laughs> Uh, so, so when you won an NCAA title, um, I am curious, you know, obviously from Jamaica, but you, you were in the States for quite a while. Was that, what did that mean to you at the time when you won your first NCAA title? It was something we were looking at my junior year because we had gotten better. I think my freshman year was the first time we won big 12s. Um, it's like saying I was in the big 12 then. Um, so it was our first year beating <coughs> Texas, um, our junior year, we really had a shot of getting our first um, our first NCAA title because we've never had one for AM. And senior year came about and it was like, okay, we're we have so many girls that are in great positions to get our first title. Um, who will it be? So I think everybody was just excited to be able to do something in, in the history books. Um, and funny enough, Julia Wilkinson of Canada, she actually got it in the hundred free. That was the event before me. So I was just really excited because we we're all jumping up and down. We we're all excited. I was in the ready room getting ready for my race. And I saw that last 25, she just took it. Um, and it was just so excited to see all the other girls, to see the coaches, to see her reaction. But I had to calm it down because I was in the next race. <laughs> so it was a weird emotion. So going into my 200, it wasn't necessarily something um, to be the first because it already happened. But um, I think I was just feeding off of her energy and all that was happening. Do you feel like that took pressure? Off? Did you feel pressure going in? And do you feel like that took any pressure off at all? <clears throat> I can't say. I don't think so. I want to say it took the pressure off because um, I remember feeling nervous. But after her race, it was just, all right, you know, we're doing great. <laughs> Let's keep it going. I'm the next race. <laughs> You know, like when somebody wins a race um, in lane, in whatever lane, and then you have that next lane, you're like, oh, I got the lucky lane. <laughs> Something like that. 
it's always good to have the lucky lane. And like, like you said, it's always good to, to have a team role going right. Of just mm-hmm. one after the other. Uh, so, so you got to add to AM's uh, world, sorry, NCAA championship run. You, uh, your junior year was the year of the suits, right? 2009. Oh, yes. The, the Jacob suits. Yeah. Okay. Yes. yes. <clears throat> I'm, I'm curious as a breaststroker, what did you wear one of, one of the Jacob suits or one of the other suits? And if so, did that, you didn't. <laughs> I want to say 2008 or maybe 2009, I wore um, the one down to the ankles. I think it was a Speedo, though. I don't think I ever wore a J-Kid. Okay. Um, I, I didn't do it for breaststroke. I was on the freestyle relays, so I think I did it for the freestyle. Okay. Um, I don't think I wore I think it would be too much on the knees, the restrictions. Mm-hmm. But no, I never did it. So you never did it. Did, did, you, did you feel uber buoyant when you wore it for the free relays? Do you remember feeling a difference? <laughs> I remember um, they put me on the freestyle leg for the 200 freestyle relay. And it was like, what is this breaststroker doing on the relay type of deal? But I was like, no, I got this. And I remember splitting like 21 mid. I was like, oh, was that me? <laughs> and I never did the time again. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was the suit as much as I want to take credit. I think it was a suit. <laughs> Well, you know, it's swimmer in the suit. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, you, you can you can claim that for the rest of your life. That's awesome. I will. I will. <laughs> uh, so so you go through you move through your college career. Um, it, going into London, your third Olympics, which mm-hmm. is pretty wild to even, okay. So third Olympics. Um, you would, you would, you would kind of made this whole shift. You would evolved. Uh, how did you feel fine tuning back down to that hundred, um, and heading into those third games, obviously kind of knowing what to expect from an Olympics. Yeah. So after I graduated, um, <coughs> the finances definitely played a part again. Um, I decided, well, should I stay at AM? Should I find another club? Uh, for pros or what should I do but I didn't have the money to travel I didn't have the money to um, buy suits the tech suits and I didn't have money um, to go find room and board somewhere so I went back home (laughs) so I actually went back to my age group coach that I went that I was at before I went to college and he saw my body shape he saw the 200 he's like yes 200 is great let's fine-tune it a little bit more for the 100 because I actually went to 2008 Olympics for the 200. So I needed to fine tune that back. Um, So we took those next two years between 2010 and 2012 of just sprint based stuff. Um, Did not taper for those two years and basically showed up at the Olympics with a 109 and said, okay, what is going to happen? And um, it it worked out for me. I think I dropped all the way down to a 106, uh, made it to finals for the first time. Uh, And it was, it was great to see all, all the work that I've done the last couple of years, finally find a way to showcase itself. Yeah. I mean, that's making an Olympic final. That's, that's a huge deal, especially at your third Olympics, your first Olympics, you swam the 50 free. No, I did. <laughs> that's awesome. 50 free and 100 reps. Yeah. <laughs> those, are, those are great events. And then you, and then, yeah, like you said, in Beijing, you were only the 200. Yeah. I really struggled with my hundred. 
Interesting. Um, okay. So, <clears throat> so you go through, through 2012 at home with your age group coach. Um, so then after that, what were you thinking? Cause I'm guessing that's around the time when you started going to world cups. Yes. I started world cups 2013. Um, I saw a potential there. I saw a lot of swimmers being able to get some sorts of money in their banks. Um, so yeah, so we, we asked around um, a couple schools in Jamaica that has old, old boys club, um, which is basically the alumni coming back and giving back money. Um, one of them said, hey, Alia, if this is a great opportunity for you, um, we'll sponsor your way to go to one of the meets. So they actually helped me out, got me to one of the countries. From there, I had I made sure... Um, Yes, it was a new experience, but I didn't have money or time to waste. So I made sure I entered a lot of events and ranked up some sort of financial um, pocket. So I'd be able to pay for the next trip. So that's how that I, that's how 2013 went. It was basically get there, pay, get enough money to go for the next one, get enough money to go for the next one, get enough money to go for the next one. Um, so I wouldn't finish all this in the red. And it worked out for me. I think short course really just, it worked out. I've heard tales like this from the World Cups, and that's it's such a cool story, but it's also so stressful to think about. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! Like you said, <laughs> just trying, having to race to earn enough money to go to the next meet, so you can do it all over again. Oh, it was. It really was. Um, and it was. It was fantastic because around that time, my breaststroke started to be a little bit quicker and more competitive on the world scene. So I was able to get um, first, second, third in a lot of the events. But if not, my word. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. So, <clears throat> so you do that, you have your first run of it. And like you said, you come out in the black, um, mm-hmm. I'm guessing in, in some sort of way. And so then did that, how do you, how do you move forward from there knowing, okay, maybe I can earn some money <laughs> and actually make mm-hmm. a living uh, with swimming? Um, so then that projected me into a whole different four-year plan. Um, it wasn't just long course and stuff and world and meets around the Americas. It was more of international traveling, um, trying to figure out a financial plan and plan my entire year, not just a quarter at a time. Um, so yeah, so my next couple of years was going through long course meets in the U.S. And then the latter part would be world short course. No, world championships. No. World Cups, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> will be World Cups. Um, I'm putting the money aside for that and then just being able to do it. Um, luckily enough, 2014, um, Speed came on board. So the financial part of that, of the suit parts was a huge weight off my shoulder. Um, so that helped out a lot. And then one more sponsor, Grace Kennedy from Jamaica came on board as well. Um, so I was able to, to start, start building a little nest egg for my retirement now. <laughs> Uh, 2014, also the year that you tied the world record in the hundred short course breast, Mm -hmm. uh, do you, you, did you ever set the world record in the 50 breast also? Yes. In 2016, 2016. Okay. So was, was the world record in 2014 before or after speedo came on? It was after. Okay. Right? Nice. 
right? <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy because I was like, yes, I'm showing my worth. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, um, they saw potential from uh, 2012 Olympics and then Worlds after that. Um, and yeah, little by little, they just contacted me and then we got to talking. So uh, racing World Cups, uh, I'm, I'm guessing short course versus long course helps, but Olympics, it seems like leading up to the Olympics, you don't have a ton of racing, like just athletes generally, you know, you don't have a ton of long course racing, maybe once a month or something. And then you go to the Olympics and you're supposed to perform your best world cups. We see a lot of world records get broken because people are just racing back to back to back. Can you talk about the zone you get in when you race that much or that frequently? Yeah, it's similar to, um, collegiate do meets, um, but on a completely more pressure, um, scene. Um, so it's nine, it was, it's changed now, but when I was swimming, it was three clusters with eight to nine different countries. Um, so let's say September, you'll be in three countries, October, you'll be in another three countries, November, you'll be in another two or three countries. Um, so the excitement part of it was always there, um, being somewhere different and doing that. And that alone brings energy and, and, and pumps you up. But for me, the biggest difference was the time changes, um, getting your body used to that, waking up. I remember in Hong Kong, <laughs> um, I was top C for the 100 breasts. And I had set my, I set my timer because I'm the only one that's going. Everybody else usually has a team or a coach, but I'm the only one. Mm -hmm. So I set my timer. I was like, okay, this is a good time to wake up. I had lunch. I went to sleep, took a nap. I woke up around 7 p.m. Uh, no, I woke up at 6.50. The race started, the meet started at 7. And my <laughs> race was the third one starting at like 7.10. I threw on a suit so quickly. I think I had holes in the side. And luckily enough, this is the only place it would have worked. Hong Kong's uh, competition pool was across the street. So I ran <coughs> down the stairs, ran across. I remember running through um, the athletes um, prep area mm -hmm. um, and seeing the next group of guys. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm coming. <laughs> Throw down my stuff, jump in the water just to get wet. And I was on the blocks. And it was just like, <laughs> it was stressful, but at the same time, it's like, okay, this is happening. How do I handle this? Yeah. Um, and I think that's what he teaches you, just the, the spontaneity, the, the things are going to happen. You're going to experience a lot. Um, mm -hmm. How do you handle it? And that made me grow as an athlete as well, um, as well as a person. Wait, I so. I answered my question. Yeah, yeah. What, what race was that? I was 100 breaths. <laughs> <laughs> and how'd it go? <laughs> It went really well. I went like 103 too. I was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> the little run from the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that wasn't the world record, was it? No, no. But no. 103 too. I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's flying. My words. I Maybe it was still up. <laughs> you kept the momentum from the run to the pool. <laughs> I just went straight on the block. <laughs> Uh, so that, I mean, that's, that's a great lesson though. I mean, just knowing that stuff will come up and being con constantly being in that race mode and, and being mm. and practicing dealing with, with different things, um, that makes a lot of sense. And so 
when you did break your first world record in 2014, can you describe that feeling? Were you expecting it? No, um, I think my time before then was maybe a 102.8 or 103.0. Um, but I had swam with Ruta all that World Cup. So we were swimming back and forth and she was always way ahead of me. Um, but going into world, world Championships, I had time to taper down. I had a little bit of break from the routine of back to back to back. Um, and I remember getting touched out in the 50. And I remember feeling that and be like, really? It was kind of like the you lunge, I do a short stroke, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And I remember like, okay, this, this is the way it's going to be. Um, so going into the 100, um, it was kind of like, is it really going to happen again? It was basically trying to figure out the emotions and trying to stay positive with everything that was going on. Um, and I remember looking online and watching, reading everybody's predictions and all this stuff. And I realizing that I am not a person who should be online during competitions. <laughs> Plain as be, you did not see me online. Um, so I turned that off and I just, I, I started thinking just what can I do in the sport? It's something that I've never done before. So if I'm going to swim my best, I have to at least make sure that I am rooting for myself. Um, so on the blocks, I made sure, like, come what may, I'm going to give it my all. And if she wins, I'm going to give her one heck of a race. Um, so it came down to the last 25, and I, I was lunging to the wall. And for a second, it glimpsed back to the 50. And I was like, no, like, don't get out touched again. <laughs> and I think it was actually the reverse. She went for the short stroke, and I went for the lunge. I have no idea. <laughs> but um, coming into the wall, I was like, I have no idea if I won or not. So I was like, did I really get second again? like in the 50. So I look on the board and I was like, oh, and I looked for a second and I didn't see my name. I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> and then I looked up and saw that I had won. Um, it wasn't until I came out and I was walking to um, the reporters and coming out of the pool that I saw I had equaled the world record. That didn't even register yet. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, Okay, I'm, I'm reading a little bit more. The, so because you equaled the world record, it, I, I read that you did not get the world record bonus. Is that true? Oh, wait, I didn't? <laughs> oh, I don't remember. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. I don't remember, actually. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> That I, I, I was really sad to read that. I mean, I would, if, if that's the case, like that's a pretty big bummer. Like it's a world record. Yeah. It, it counts. Yeah. Um, I equaled it twice. Right. Do you, that's did 20, you, 000. that's 20,000. Oh. <sighs> Do you remember if you got it the second time in 2016 when you equaled it? You know, I don't think I did. Cause I remember getting it for the 50. Okay. Wow. You're right. Oh. <laughs> I'm so I'm so sorry. I didn't I didn't mean to hit you with this dark realization. <laughs> oh goodness. Mm. Um but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's I'm a little infuriated for you. That's <clears throat> not cool. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, 
so so you you equaled these world records um and you still so you still hold that one you still hold the 50 breast world record and i since you and ruda we haven't really seen anyone come close to them do do you think do you see them getting broken in the near future i think so um just the way swimming has evolved and breaststroke itself has evolved Mm -hmm. um I definitely do see it. Um, a lot of the swimmers now, I don't know if they're used to the back-to-back-to-back swimming. Um, ISL 2020, they were very close. Um, but this year with Olympics, I think it was too much on people's plates. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- given a good year when everybody's nice and tapered and fresh, um, definitely. Yeah, they should be going. <laughs> Interesting. I they. I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. They've, they've, they've really? stood for so long. Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just not, I'm just not sure if, if who's, who's going to do it. Um, I feel like at least in, in America that we kind of focus more on long course and which yeah. I don't love, but, um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Plus Ruto's back after retirement. So I'm sure Ruta's he'll be back. coming after it. <laughs> so we'll so, dude, she's, she's coming back. Do you think you're going to come back in a no. year We're to, to challenge apart. her again? <laughs> no. A 23 year old bouncing back is a lot different than a 33 year old. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so you mentioned earlier, we're coming full circle now. So you're in retirement. Um, you mentioned, you know, diet and routine. I'm like, did you, did you have a, a diet or, or a nutrition plan when you were swimming compared to now when you're not? Uh, not so much. Um, and this goes back to the one step back in college. Um, I definitely got that freshman 15. <laughs> um, so I, I had to realize very early on that I am not at home with my mother's cooking. I need to figure out what works for me. Um, and if it's doing more cardio, if it's going to a nutritionist, whatever it is. Um, so that freshman year, I learned a lot about my body. And it's, it's tips like that from then I still um, use throughout my entire, my entire career so far. I've been able to regulate weight from just that. Um, so it's, it's adapting that into my post-swimming years now. Um, and just seeing what works and what doesn't work, what can I can what I can get away with and what I can't. I ran for the first time <laughs> on Saturday, and I was so sore. <laughs> I know. So different things and see what I can do. Um, but dieting, I'm definitely trying to enjoy it a lot more. Um, if I want to bake a cake, I will bake a cake. But if it means I have to run the next morning, then I, I will do so happily. <laughs> but, <laughs> Um, yeah, just playing around with it and having the freedom to do so without having to make weight for a competition or something like that. Yeah. Dude, was, was making weight for a competition, something that you put an emphasis on? Not so much. I tried to make sure I maintained it throughout the years. Um, so Mm -hmm. it wasn't that big of a a drop off. So I, I, for the most part was plus or minus one or two of my regular weight. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a great, a great. That was a great plan for me, I think, um, especially coming from the 22 to maybe 28, 29, when my metabolism slowed down a lot. Okay. Um, it's trying to see how to regulate that again. 
um, what I can eat, what I can't eat, um, what's the best things for practices and stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I've definitely been there before when you don't run for years and you, and you go for a run, it's just a full body soreness that (laughs) you really don't expect. (laughs) I started out like a gazelle, man. It was like, we ended up like a slob. (laughs) You're just feeling so good. And then you get like five minutes in and you're like, where, where did it all go? Yeah. <clears throat> Are, do you think you'll still swim for recreational purposes? Do you think you'll get in the water at all? Are you someone who's like, I've done this long enough. <laughs> I don't want to touch a pool for five years. <laughs> no, no, I definitely will. Um, my nieces and nephews, um, they learned how to swim. So they're in that stage where making it fun, but also teaching them the different strokes and stuff. So I'll be in the water for them as well. Um, and if I do have any swim clinics in the future, or if I do find some sort of project to continue with water awareness, it's getting in the water for learn to swim stuff as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, okay. So do you, are you still living in Southern Florida now? Yes. I'm in mid Florida, but yeah. Mid Florida. Okay. So, uh, how long have you been in the town that you're in now? Oh, this is a good story. So. (laughs) I um 2020 when I knew I was retiring in 2020 I made I started looking for houses in mm-hmm. Orlando area so okay. I made sure to go around and and find somewhere up here um so with the whole COVID we had to push that aside and then the whole fluctuation of the house things just blossomed to what it is now yeah um so yeah so olympic year 2021 the beginning of 2021 i wasn't stressing so much about swimming because it was still up and down no pools um all the meets were getting canceled stuff like that um so i just changed all my uh, focus to finding a house so 2021 i found a house and we were building it um refurbishing it doing all the different stuff that's why i'm renovating now and everything was ready to move in when i finished retiring in december as soon nice. as I came in, I moved straight up. It's a new life. <laughs> wow. Uh, so yeah. it, you were, how many places, how many different places have you lived in Florida? It's been a few, uh, right? Two. Okay. Two. Gotcha. Yeah, here in South Florida. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, yeah. Well, then on that note, I want to play a little this or that. Um, mm. I have, I have a, a list of kind of rapid fire questions and I want you to choose, uh, between okay. college station or let's say, uh, Orlando area, since that's where Orlando. you're at now. All right. Orlando. <laughs> Orlando. Okay. Yeah. So Orlando or college station, best place to get a burrito. Ooh, college station. Okay. Where do you go at college station? I have no idea. Well, they have a few on the strip that are really good. I don't know if they're still there because I went back a couple of years ago and College Station is completely just built up. I was like, wow, this is not the place I remember. What They have a taco place that everyone loves, right? Was that there when you were there? What's that called? I don't remember. Okay. That's that's okay. (laughs) I should remember I was there not too long ago, but all right. Uh, College Station or Orlando, go to a sporting event. Uh, ooh. If it's a college <laughs> event, I would definitely go to AM, college okay. station. 
Uh-huh. Um, any other one? Probably Orlando. <laughs> Seems like they'd have better pro sports. <laughs> um, best place to get a tan. Ooh. <laughs> Temperatures are, are similar, but Texas right. is very hot in the summer. I'm going to go yeah. with Orlando. I don't want to burn. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, best place to have an indoor swim practice. Texas. Okay. Best place for an outdoor swim practice. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Really? Why, why is that? Yeah. <clears throat> so the indoor Orlando is probably the cutoff point. So everything below Orlando going into South Florida, there's only outdoor pools. So Orlando is the okay. first indoor one, but it's not really indoor because they don't really have the ventilation. They just open the doors. So when it's hot, <laughs> it's, it's like humid. You're cooking inside. But Texas, you have the whole AC, you have everything already set up for indoor. But outdoor, you still have the, 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 um, the scenery. Uh, you still have the nice weather changes that you can get. Um, it's, it's, the fresh air is very, is very lovely. Okay, <clears throat> nice. Um, best place for winter training like a two-week training block in december january orlando i i was kind of thinking that one too yeah (laughs) that makes sense um all right last one best place to get breakfast i'm gonna say texas okay what do you get in, what do you get in texas for breakfast they have this place called um hullabaloo and they get like big i can't eat those now but it's like a huge um plate of like uh-huh. pancakes stacked up oh different types of oh, they have the french toast and they make the different sandwiches and it's just the breakfast places are easy to come by i'm sure there's a lot in mm-hmm. orlando i just haven't checked it out yet but texas was right around the corner you can get a little breakfast tequilas and some <laughs> mexican breakfast foods too uh, yeah that sounds great yeah. well Thank you for playing. No, <laughs> that was no fun. I, I loved hearing your answers. Um, and thank you for coming on, Alia. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat. Is there any parting thoughts you have for our audience before we sign off? Um, not so much. Um, 2022 is upon us. I hope that it brings us not just our dreams and desires and our goals, but I hope that we are passionate and confident enough to go after them this year. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.